0: Open your Bibles, please, to 2 Timothy chapter 3. Oh, what a great day. I love baptism. I love seeing people follow the Lord. Because I know that salvation in Christ is what we need. (laughs) What? (laughs) What? Oh my goodness, and in God's providence, he has brought us to a verse on salvation as we're studying through 2 Timothy 3. I'd like to read a few verses and just focus on one this morning from 2 Timothy 3, starting in verse 10. You have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution, but evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you... You must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of knowing from whom you learned them and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. The Apostle Paul wrote this book in large part to encourage Timothy to be strong, particularly in the face of false teaching. He said there are going to come people from within the church and from outside the church who are going to push on you and try to get you to abandon God's word and go toward other ideologies. They will will change God's word. They They will take away from it. They will add to it. And they will want you to follow that. And he says, don't do it. And the reason he says don't do it is because it is the Holy Scriptures which are able to make us wise unto salvation, which is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I just want to ask a simple question today, and that is, why is salvation so valuable? Why would Paul say, Timothy, you know how I've been persecuted and tormented and suffered hardship for this message. Why would he do that? It's because there's nothing more valuable than salvation. And the first reason that's valuable is this, salvation gives us forgiveness for our past. When Jesus was crucified, he took our sin upon him, and because he paid for the penalty of our sin, our sin can be removed from us along with its guilt. Here's the story of a woman who needed forgiveness, it's so picturesque. Then one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him, and he went to the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner. We don't know what this woman's sin was. Many have perceived it to be prostitution. We don't know that. But we know that whatever her sin was, it was public. So people looked at her and said, oh, there's that sinning woman. So whatever her sin was, it was that big. Behold, a woman in the city who was a sinner... When she knew that Jesus sat at the table in the Pharisee's house, she brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil and stood at his feet behind him, weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears and wipe them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with fragrant oil. Now when the Pharisee who had invited Jesus saw this, he spoke to himself. These these were not verbalized words, they were in his mind. If this man were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered out loud (laughs) his internal thought, Simon, I have something to say to you. So he said, teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed 500 days wages, the other owed 50 days wages. And when they had nothing with which to repay, he freely forgave them both. Tell me, therefore, which one of them will love him more? Simon answered, I suppose the one he forgave more. And Jesus said to him, You have rightly judged. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came in. You did not anoint my head with oil, but this woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore I say to you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Guilt is a heavy burden to carry. You cannot be a strong individual and carry a load of guilt with you. But you don't have to. You don't have to suffer the anxiety and the fear and the paralysis that guilt gives us you don't have to walk with your head down because you're ashamed. Jesus wants to forgive our sin and give us freedom in him. That's why Romans 8.1 says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Salvation. Salvation. Salvation gives us forgiveness for our past. What could be more valuable than that? What could be more valuable than having a clean slate? Well, something that's equally valuable is this. Salvation gives us confidence about our future. Would you listen to the various authors of Scripture as they enunciated this truth? Beloved, now, right here and now on planet Earth, we are the children of God But it has not yet been revealed completely what we will be like. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we will see him as he is. The Apostle John near the end of his life said, I don't know exactly what our existence in heaven will be like, but I know this. We're going to be made like Jesus Christ. Our character will be refined and perfected like his. What a glorious prospect that is. The Apostle Paul said that Jesus will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. Now, talking about the physical and not the spiritual, he said someday our bodies themselves will be transformed. We've walked through some really hard things with folks in this congregation when our body it's sick and our body breaks down and our body wears out. I'm going to have surgery this, this uh, Thursday and I imagine in a couple years I'll have another surgery on the other knee. But someday my body will be like the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. The psalmist, King David, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in your likeness. Even in the Old Testament time, David said, my destiny is to be with God in heaven. Job, after my skin is destroyed, he's talking about the corruption of the grave. After my skin is destroyed, this I know, that in my flesh I shall, I shall see God. He said, I know my body's gonna go in the ground and I know it's gonna go away to nothing or ashes to ashes, dust to dust, but I know that in my flesh I will see God. What a glorious hope he had. And the apostle Paul said, for our light affliction, the existence we have now in which we suffer, our light affliction, which is but for a moment is working a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory And then this last one. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. You know what that means, friend? You can't imagine how great heaven is. You can imagine what you think would be great, and probably it's better than now. But God is so much bigger and greater than us that when he prepares something that's great, it's going to be out of this world. (laughs) Unbelievable. And that's the, the certainty that we have. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. I've heard the voices of many people in recent years Most recently, from our friend Mike Coogan, who is in the hospital in Seattle today, Uh, he went into the hospital expecting to have a surgery and have a, a very large cancer removed from his body, and instead, the doctor said, there is no surgery to be done. But before that, he said to me, I'm ready either way. The hope of heaven is not a hope so. The hope of heaven is confidence. It's a confidence down in us. And it doesn't come from us. And it doesn't come from our ability to hang on to God. It comes from God when he comes in at our believing in Christ and puts the Holy Spirit in us. Whereby we are able to cry, Abba, Father. And we know God, and we know that heaven is in our future. What could be more valuable than that? If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. But salvation is not just about the past and the future. It's also about the present. It's also about the present. God gives us power for our present. And listen to what that power is. Therefore, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, do not cease to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom or the understanding and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, so that you can know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the mighty, the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And seated him as his right hand in the heavenly places. Do you understand that God wrote that passage of Scripture so you would understand that the power within you as a believer in Jesus Christ is the same power that God exerted when he raised Jesus from the dead? Now, what is there that can't be subject to that power? There is no relationship that cannot be healed, there is no sin that cannot be conquered. There is no such thing as a challenge or a trial or a persecution or a hardship that I cannot bear because I have Christ in me, the hope of glory. Salvation is the source of strength in life because it forgives our past, it guarantees our future, and it gives us power for our present, and it is freely available. Now, normally, you get what you pay for. I bought a hot tub this summer. Some of you, you that are new here today think, "What are they laughing at?" That's not funny. You darn tooting, that's not funny. <laughs> I bought a hot tub and I got a great deal, and it was a great deal right up until the moment I put water in it, and the water out of the hose into the tub. And I went around the backside, and it ran right out the backside, because a great big pipe about that big was busted. The guy who came to fix it, whose kids I helped put through college, told me it probably had been frozen. Okay, you get what you pay for. The other hot tubs we were looking at cost about the same amount we had to pay by the time we got done fixing that one up. <laughs> You get what you pay for everywhere, except when it comes to salvation. Because the reason salvation is free is because you can't afford it. The freedom of salvation is like the food that is given away in a famine or a disaster. You know, my mind goes back to Indonesia and two, three hundred thousand people killed, swept away, drowned. And, And can you imagine somebody who would take a truckload of rice and go over and say, it's 10 bucks a pound. Oh, we'd hate that. No, we give them the rice. We give them whatever else we can that they need because they have nothing to pay with. And that's what makes salvation so so important and so valuable. You have nothing with which to pay. So many people in the world think they're gonna work their way to heaven. But the problem is a good deed done by a sinful creature amounts to nothing in the sight of God. And so he is so great, he knows we can't pay for it. He knows we're, we're that, that, that poor soul after the typhoon. And so he gives it to us. And he gives it to us freely through the word of God. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes it In him who sent me has everlasting life. How much easier could God make it? God doesn't say, God doesn't even say you have to go through the water of baptism. This is an evidence of salvation, not a way to earn it. God doesn't say you have to put some in the offering bag when it goes by. God doesn't say you have to show up here every week to earn somehow a place. He says, Look, I'm going to tell you the truth, you believe the truth, and you will be saved. Out of his own will, out of God's own will, he brought us forth, he caused us to be born again. How? By the word of truth. Having been born again, not of corruptible seed, not of some some earthly, tangible thing that we did or offered to God, but of incorruptible seed through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. The word of God... Contains the truth of God about salvation And it is freely available No human agent is required To explain the word or to validate belief And I, I read this story from John MacArthur and, and it's encouraged me in my witnessing To, to take a similar tack at times uh, Not exactly the same, but, but at least the sentiment John MacArthur, and if you don't know He pastors a very large church And he preaches the word in, in its truth And sincerity and a man came to his church and was exceedingly troubled, and he made an appointment and came and saw Dr. MacArthur, and he said, "Can you help me? I am racked with guilt. I am an abortion doctor, and I, I'm just overcome with guilt, and, and uh, you know, I need some help." And you know what John MacArthur said to him? He said, "I can't help you." You know what he did. <laughs> He wanted this fellow to really get it right. He handed him a Bible. And he said, here, you take this, and you go read the Gospel of John. Then you come back and see me. And the fellow went and read the Gospel of John, and he came back a believer in Jesus Christ. And many times I've said to people, look, you don't need me. You don't need me to believe. You just read the Word. That is the miracle of God's salvation. God has promised that His Word will be powerful. The word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. If God is poking you in your heart today, it is him, not my eloquence. One of the reasons I show you so much scripture is because I think that's where the power is. And if you would listen to God's word, God will draw you to himself. Do you know that none of these people who got saved today walked the aisle because we compelled them in some kind of long, arm-twisting invitation? Those of you who aren't Baptist by practice, you will see today, you know, that we will say, do you want to believe in Christ? Well, I'm here. I'll be glad to help you. Mike Haugen believed in the Lord walking down that street. That's probably a good spot. Go out there. Elisa got the truth at camp, listening to the preacher, and she went to her counselor and said, hey, help me with this. Great! Sean just believed. Hey, Jesus died for my sins, and I need to believe that. Okay! That's the power of God's word. Now, some people won't read God's word. And to you, I want to say, what are you scared of? God says he will reveal salvation to you right there in the word. You don't need me. You don't need the church. But you do need God. Here's an example of God's power. Now, a certain woman named Lydia heard us. This is the Apostle Paul giving a a, a report. He went and preached in a place, and a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. She was an Old Testament believer in God. But the Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. That means she became a believer in Jesus Christ. But who opened her heart? Was it Paul? No. The Lord opened her heart. And he does that through the word. Salvation is also valuable because it is simply stated. It is not a complex algorithm But you must go to college for years to understand. You're thinking, I don't even know what the word algorithm means. And I really don't either. (laughs) How many of you know what that word means? All the computer people. Yeah. (laughs) But I know it's complicated. And I know salvation is simple. God says, we have a critical problem. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. God wants to bless us. God wants to make us his children, but we have this critical issue. We are sinners. God says our problem is not just critical, it's fatal. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm so glad that one of our people today came to faith in Christ after grasping the message of hell. And I know that's gone entirely out of vogue in our contemporary world, not only our secular world, but our Christian world. But there is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And God says, if you refuse the simple salvation that He has freely offered, He will have no choice but to punish your sin in hell forever. That's a problem. God says there is a solution. There is a salvation available for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I don't know how much more gracious God could be. God is often criticized for being so, so singular, so, so unique in what he says. He says there is only one way. There is a narrow path to come to him. And yet that narrow path is freely available. No cost except to your pride. God says that faith is the only way. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. You cannot take on Jesus as a God or as a person to believe in and at the same time retain some other system of salvation whether it be another religion or your own way of works or whatever it is, you cannot take on Jesus plus because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the, I am, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Faith is the only way. And God says that real faith must be expressed. For with the heart, one believes unto righteousness. With the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There needs to be a belief in the heart and a willingness to confess with the mouth. Baptism, in part, is about that confession of faith. If you have never been baptized, if you have been fighting that decision, that's a sin. And you need to look inside and say, I need to be willing to confess with Christ through baptism as well as with my mouth. It's all right there. You have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise unto salvation. Salvation is so easy to understand. It's so simple that mentally challenged people can believe in Christ as their savior. And, uh, and we have ready examples of that including my friend Tom Ruhlman, whose son is, uh, what's the word that he has? Down. Down syndrome and loves the Lord. The problem isn't people being too simple. It's usually people being too smart for their own good. Salvation is so simple that people in any culture can believe And I could give you examples today from many, many cultures. Salvation is so simple that educated people want to make it complex, but it's not complex. Salvation needs to be carefully, carefully received. Jesus told this illustration in order to help the disciples understand how people would hear the message that I've proclaimed to you today. And here it is. He spoke many things to them in parables, and the word parable means a story that that literally is called alongside an, an illustration like like when I uh, would talk about uh, how you get what you pay for with the hot tub, I've brought the hot tub alongside so you can grasp the concept. okay Jesus brought parables alongside of his truth um, so they could grasp the concept. He spoke many to them many things to them in parables saying, behold. A sower, a a farmer, went out to scatter the seed, and as he sowed, some of the seed fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth, and they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But others fell on good ground and yielded a crop, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. I planted a garden once. And if you think my hot tub was a disaster, you should have seen my garden. I got the biggest plants on my potatoes and the puniest potatoes you've ever seen. I understand planting seed and getting a disappointment. Jesus interpreted this this parable. He interpreted it himself so we don't have to guess what it meant. And the first point was this. Some people are hindered from believing in Christ by the devil. How does the devil do that? Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received the word by the wayside. Some of you are here today saying, that doesn't make sense to me. And you need to know that you are a prime candidate to go out this door and to forget what was said. Because the devil is there pulling at that gospel seed that I have scattered today. And if you are here saying, I don't understand, the thing to do is to stay and say, help me understand from God's word this truth. Because if you walk away, the devil will snatch the seed and it'll be gone. Number two, some people are hindered from believing by difficulty. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but he endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Some people will make a profession of faith in Christ and then they will come on a hardship or the hardship they already had keeps going and they'll say, what in the world is wrong? Why didn't God solve all my problems? And if you're one of those people, you need to say, help me understand how God helps me through difficulties. Because if you walk away, the seed will shrivel and die and be gone. Number three, some people are hindered from believing because they have other loves. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful Half of this is what we might call a good reason and half of it a bad reason. And here's what I mean. The cares of this world are not sinful. I care for my wife. If I was not married, I would fit into the category of what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 7. I could just serve the Lord with all of my time, but because I'm married, I have to care about my wife. It is a care of this world. It's not a wicked thing. But when it comes to believing in Christ, sometimes the cares of this world will compete I've talked to people about the Lord and they look at their life and they say, oh, if I come to the Lord, I'm going to have to let go over here. Oh, 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 they're they're torn, they're torn. And I'm telling you today, if you're in that position, don't leave without getting that settled. You've got to let go of whatever those cares of the world are and believe in Christ. The other thing he talked about is the deceitfulness of riches. And what that refers to is sort of a care of the world, but it's a myth, the idea that there's some stuff out there that's going to make my life really sing. And yet you're telling me I need to submit to Jesus and believe in Him, but I want to go after this stuff over here. But it's deceitful. If you need confirmation, go to Hagen after church, and go to those magazines that are right next to the checkout stands and read about the people who are rich. And then come back and tell me if the riches fulfilled their life. It's deceitful. It's fooling. It's a trick that Satan is playing on you. Number four, some genuinely receive the word and it changes their life. But he who received the seed on good ground is he who hears the word. He understands it and he bears fruit and produces some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. He says there's there's reproduction in your life. Your life is changed to be like Christ and it becomes fruitful and it becomes wonderful. I had my annual physical this week. Try to do that every year in January. It's kind of like, uh, kind of like keeping score at a football game. You know, at the end of it, you, you see who won or who lost. Uh, I'm in excellent health, except for some parts. <laughs> my cholesterol is outstanding. It's better this year than last year, and it's well into the good zone. But my hearing is deficient. Yeah, (laughs) thank you, dear. (laughs) My blood pressure is lower than ever, but my knees are wearing out. My heart is strong, but my back is weak. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day for our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Well, we don't look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. My body is wearing out, but my soul is growing strong, Because of God's salvation. And I believe it will continue to grow stronger until I see Jesus. I have some evidence of that this week in my friend Mike Coogan, who I went to see yesterday. And the first thing he said to me was, This is the end. This is the end. And he's not scared. You're not worried. And that's how I'm gonna, that's how I'm aiming to end. My outward man is wearing out, but my inward man is getting stronger, and that is our potential in Christ. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The word of God is able to save your soul. Does your soul need to be saved today? Would you bow your heads? My friend Mike Haugen sat here for two, three years and listened to God's word, but there came a day when he had to make decision and he did have you made that decision yet maybe you're like a friend of mine who everybody in his church thought sure he knew the Lord but as a young adult he raised his hand and said I don't know the Lord don't be too proud to come to faith in Christ Don't let the seed go on the bad ground. I'm going to pray right now. And I'm not going to ask you to walk forward. But what I would just say right now, while everybody is just considering their own heart, would you like me to pray for you specifically that you would come to faith in Christ? Would you just raise your hand and tell me that today? Pastor Dave, I don't want the seed to go to waste. Heavenly Father, you know the hearts today. You know who knows you and you know who doesn't. And I pray the seed will rest on good ground and I pray that it'll bring forth fruit and I pray that you won't let it rest in those who need to respond to you today. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for cleansing our past, making our future hopeful and making our present powerful. May we live in those blessings that you've given us. I pray in Christ's name, amen.